Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 161. You gain listeners by the ones and twos, and you lose them by the dozen. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm so excited to introduce a very special guest, Bob Varsha. Bob, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely, Mark. Let's fire it up. All right. It's great to have you here. Anyone who's watched motorsports on television for the last 30 years will recognize the face and voice of today's guest here on Cars Yeah. Bob Varsh's career in automotive broadcasting goes back to 1980 when he was invited to cover the Peachtree 10K road race. He hosted Motor Week, illustrated on CNN, and covered Formula One racing on ESPN. And he's been a television host on multitude of sporting events from gymnastics to track and field to skiing. And while on Speed Vision, he covered F1, sports cars, motorcycles, and the Tour de France racing. He's been the voice of Barrett Jackson Auctions, IMSA, Sports Car, and the MotoGP World Championship, and the 24 Hours of Le Mans. So, Bob, I told our listeners just a little bit about your long career in announcing and, and being in motorsports. Would you take a moment? And share a little bit more about your history, your career, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles. Well, sure, Mark. Actually, my career, long as it might be, happened almost by accident. I grew up in the suburbs of New York City, went to college up in New Hampshire, and then came down to my current home, Atlanta, Georgia, to attend law school at Emory University, fully expecting that I would make my career in practicing law. I went through school, graduated, joined the Georgia Bar, practiced law for about four years with a couple of different firms and companies here in Atlanta, when that opportunity to do a little television with a sport I knew a lot about, namely running, Mm -hmm. came about with the folks at Turner Broadcasting. Somehow they got my name. I don't know how. I should back up and say I had, in addition to my law school work, been the executive director of one of the largest running clubs in the in the world, the Atlanta Track Club. And oh, wow. one of their key events every year was the Peachtree Road Race, sponsored by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Of course, this is back in the late 70s. Running was just booming. A guy named Jim Fix wrote a book about how to run, of all things, and, and made a fortune, sold oh, a yeah. million copies. At that time, everybody wanted to run. So it was booming, and it was exciting, and it was lots of fun. And 
and I became the executive director of this club, which meant I put on the Peachtree Road Race every year. So after I sort of moved out of that job, along comes this phone call from Turner Broadcasting saying, hey, we're going to telecast this race for the first time ever, and we need somebody who can tell us about the race from the inside, and we're told that's you. So I said, well, okay, fine. I'll do it. So off I went, and the next thing I knew, we, uh, we broadcast the race. I worked with a terrific host, a well-known sportscaster here in Atlanta named Bob Neal. And we shook hands when it was over and walked away, and I assumed I was going back to, to my practice of law when mm-hmm. about six weeks later, I got another phone call from Turner Broadcasting. And they said, well, you know, we have an opening doing news and sports. Turner was a, a fairly small company compared to its current uh, empire. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people did a lot of different jobs. So they said, would you like to audition for this job? And I thought, well, that might be fun. Mm -hmm. So I went there, and lo and behold, I became a television newscaster. Oh, my gosh. And that that may be overstating it, because what I was actually doing were these little two-minute news updates in the commercial breaks during the late-night movies. So I would practice (laughs) all day, and then I'd go to Turner about 10 o'clock at night, come home at 3 in the morning, and and off we went. But I I moved through the company. I went from there to CNN Radio and then to the sports department, which was being run by uh, just a giant in the broadcasting of sports, a guy named Bill McPhail. Mm -hmm. And I worked there with a terrific team of people that included Folks that are very well-known these days, like uh, Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann and Anna Storm, and it was just a wonderful department that Bill put together. I stayed there for a while and then moved from there, or I should say, while I was at Turner, I became involved with with an independent production company called World Sports Enterprises, run by a partnership between a, a legendary NBC News producer named Fred Reinstein and his partner, Ken Squire, the legendary voice of CBS Sports. Oh, yes. They had an idea for a television program called Motor Week Illustrated, the first, I guess you'd call it an anthology show, uh, just covering the world of motorsports. But they did the show as what we call a donut. On Wednesday, they would tape the entire program except for a little gap in the middle, anywhere from 60 to 90 seconds. Since they were taping on a Wednesday, no one, and the show aired on for Saturday. Mm-hmm. No one knew what was going to happen between the taping and the actual airing of the show. So they needed a guy on the inside at Turner who could run into the studio and update qualifying or talk about, you know, whatever twist or turn in the in the global motorsports story took place. So <laughs> I got that job, and, uh, and when uh, my career at CNN entered, I just went across the street to World Sports Enterprises, and they gave me a job. And the next thing I knew, I was out of the practice of law entirely, and racing all over the world covering the old Camel GT sports car series. Wow. An awful lot of fun, a great learning curve for me. I I came in literally knowing nothing about motorsports. And from time to time, I'll hear from students at radio and TV programs or film programs in universities saying, how do I get a job in broadcasting? And I have to say, well, you know, I don't know. My job kind of found me. (laughs) And so I stayed with sports until about 1990. And while I was at the sports car races, I got to know the folks from the very young ESPN company at that time. And they said, hey, will you come over here and host some shows for us? Totally learning on the job. Yeah. Although I had some great mentors and great models to follow. But Mm -hmm. at ESPN, where I expanded my portfolio to include a lot of those other sports that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. And then moved from ESPN to uh, a startup company, uh, 
put together by some ESPN alumni called uh, Speed Vision. Oh, yes. And, uh, <laughs> yes, it was actually two signals at the time. There was Speed Vision, all about cars, mm-hmm. and Outdoor Life Network, which was all about all sorts of outdoor sports, including skiing, canoeing, cycling, what have you. And that was great fun until Fox, which was one of the original investors in the twin networks, exercised their right to buy the company, which they did, and they spun off Outdoor Life, which became Versus, which became NBC Sports Network, but kept Speed Vision and renamed it Speed Channel, and then Speed, and now, of course, uh, Fox Sports 1. So my entire career has been a bit of an accidental adventure, (laughs) but I've been very lucky to be in the right place at the right time and get my hand in the air and... I never let the fact that I didn't know anything about a sport prevent me from going out there and acting like an expert because uh, I love that challenge of getting myself up to speed. And it's it's taken me quite a long way and hopefully will for quite a long way yet because, you know, baby needs new shoes. <laughs> well, it's a wonderful story and I love it. And I've learned so much talking to you about how you got started because we look at someone like you who's been in the industry for so long, we just think, well, that was his, his goal, his direction from the beginning, because he's so good at it. That must have been it. But I love the fact that that entrepreneurial spirit took over and the journey of all these different paths and roads and corners and twists and turns to use racing metaphors and track metaphors works so well for you. It's fantastic. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. And this is a something that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. And it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Bob? Take the wheel. Well, let me think. Uh, I'll bet all the people that you've spoken to in your time on the air, Mark, you've never heard anybody say they got an inspirational quote from a guy named Ludlow Porch. Oh, no, I have not. Ludlow Porch. He is a, um, he's no longer with us, sadly. He was a, uh, an Atlanta radio legend and, and actually had quite a national profile. Huge man, very folksy, uh, very funny. He was actually stepbrothers with another legendary humorist by the name of Louis Grizzard, who also passed away some years ago, mm-hmm. a syndicated humor columnist in the mold of a Dave Barry or someone like that. Okay. Anyway, Ludlow was um, a terrific guy and worked for a number of radio stations here in Atlanta, including one that I worked for in the early stage of my career. Ludlow was also the general manager of the station. He would bring the group together from time to time, and in addition to... Uh, having us all lying on the floor in laughter, he would he would drop a little kernel of wisdom from time to time that, uh-huh. that I remember. And one that I've never forgotten, and I recite to all the young people I work with now, is you gain listeners by the ones and twos, and you lose them by the dozens. Mm. So you have to be very careful about what you say and take into account what the impact of what you're saying is going to have on the people who are listening to you. And, of course, it's very applicable to the broadcasting industry, but I think it's also a a bit of a metaphor for life, you know, just treat people the way you'd like to be treated and be straight with folks and, uh, you know, take what you get for what you put into it. Absolutely. I love that quote, and especially for the field that you're in and this new field that I'm in with Cars Yeah, I'm going to take that and print it out and put that right in front of me. It's a great saying. Uh Thank you for sharing that. Would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? Tell us about that pivotal moment in your life, when you really knew you were a car guy? Well, I have to admit that there was a long stretch in my life. From when I was a kid, of course, every young guy who plays with slot cars and toy trucks and builds models and that sort of thing uh, is fascinated with cars. But 
they didn't really take a, a central point in my life until, I suppose you might say, they, they put bread on the table. Um, <laughs> yes. And the, the one I probably remember best would be when I started covering the Barrett-Jackson collector car auctions uh, in, the, what would it be, 2001, I guess. Mm-hmm. To that point, I'd always considered myself basically a racing guy. And whenever I was around people asking about this streetcar or that streetcar or what should I buy or what do you think of this new introduction from the auto shows that you covered, I'd say, well, you know, that's, I don't really know what to tell you. You know, I don't pay a lot of time, uh, attention to stats and sales brochures and that kind of thing. I'm a racing guy. I'm a competition guy. I like those kinds of stories. But when I did my first Barrett-Jackson and got into the world of collector cars, I mean, it opened a whole new realm of possibilities and interest and romance for me. And, sure. and I just took to it like a duck to water, working with guys like Brock Yates and Keith Martin and Alan Decadenay and Mike Joy and Steve Mignante, and the list goes on and on over the years. And going to the auctions, 40 or so of them, I guess, I'd have to count, but being around car people and seeing how cars affected them, uh, as yes. I said earlier, I'm a guy who likes stories, and sports is full of stories, and certainly the world of automobilia is full of great stories. They're endless. It's um, it's a target-rich environment, as they say at the Pentagon, I guess. And and so I think that very first auction was probably when I realized, wow, this is you know this is a world that I don't know a lot about, but I'm going to make it my business to learn about it. And it's it was a great ride, uh, as you may know, as we speak. Barrett Jackson out in Scottsdale, Arizona, is beginning its first year with the Velocity and Discovery Networks. They've gone away from the Fox Networks that, mm-hmm. uh, that I work for. And as a result, I won't be going to those auctions to cover them anymore, which is just uh, sad for me. But sure. uh, they've got a great team. They'll do a good job, and, and I'll be watching. Yeah, absolutely. I will be, too. I wish I was there. But I'm having fun being with you here today, and, and it's a great story. You know, my daughter's not really into cars, but I took her to her first auction during the Pebble Beach weekend, and I've never seen somebody get so excited. I think she was ready to bid on some things. I had to hold her hand down. So <laughs> those events really get you fired up and excited. Uh, they, it always happens that way. I've taken an endless number of friends out there or recommended the auctions to someone. It doesn't necessarily need to be Barrett-Jackson, although they are the, the auctions that probably provided the greatest opportunity for family or individual entertainment. The mm-hmm. others can be, you know, as hardcore as you wanted to get to the point where you can't even buy a ticket to go into the auction tent. But Barrett Jackson has made their fortune by offering something for everyone. And, and I recommend it to everybody. They're great fun to go to the auctions and, and yep. kick tires and enjoy the automobile at whatever level suits you. Absolutely. So, Bob, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or a great failure that you faced in your career. But the most important part of this question has to do with how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it. Well, I'd have to go back to my CNN days, I guess, and that sports department run by sports TV legend Bill McPhail from the, the equally legendary McPhail family of sports executives and TV executives. Shortly after the Los Angeles Olympics in 1984, I got an invitation to go to lunch with Bill, and that was kind of a signal that something big was about to happen. Mm-hmm. Bill was such a busy guy. If he was inviting you to lunch, you were either about to be promoted or let go. Hmm. And in my case, I was fired. Oh, pure goodness. And, simple. and you know, that was, that was a bit of a crushing moment for me. Uh, I wasn't used to that kind of disappointment, at least in my then-budding professional career. Mm-hmm. But Bill had this wonderful charm about him. 
which is probably why he was such a great broadcasting executive. You could go into a lunch with Bill, and he could lay this kind of news on you, but he would leave you walking out of that lunch feeling on top of the world. Wow. And that's kind of a unique gift. And, and so I had that kind of a lunch with Bill. He explained why they had to let me go, which is a story not worth going into here, yeah. I suppose. But he said, look, you, you are good at this. You can have a big future. And so I'm going to recommend you to some people. And if you have any questions, you come back to me at any time. He left the door open, left me with his personal phone number. And so I remember feeling so good about being fired <laughs> from essentially my first broadcast job that uh, I think that tempered my enthusiasm about this whole business. And it, and it really made me understand that, you know, life is full of these sort of either dramatic failures or just mere course corrections along the way. And certainly yes. coming from the practice of law to become a TV broadcaster, first about news, and then about sports, and then specifically about the automobile. It's, uh, it, it was a message that I've often um, pulled up to uh, to remind me about how life and careers and so on can be. And it uh, helps you develop that sort of thick skin that'll take you a long way in life. Well, I appreciate you sharing that really personal story. I think many people could learn some lessons from that gentleman when they have to let people go on the right mm-hmm. way to do it. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum, and I'd love for you to share a story when you had a real aha moment in your career, a time that you realized that an idea or a concept was really a good one, it was going to make it, and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into your success. Well, uh, one of my mentors was a fellow I mentioned earlier, Ken Squire, who, uh, who called so many memorable races for CBS, including that first live 79 Daytona 500, which is a wonderful story <laughs> yes. in its own. The first live complete 500-mile flag-to-flag broadcast that happened on a stormy weekend and gave CBS a captive audience. And at the end of the race, of course, Richard Petty won while uh, Cale Yarborough and the Allison brothers were slugging it out on the backstretch. It was absolute magic. And, and Ken's a wonderful guy, and I've learned so much from him. We were at the what is now the Rolex 24-hour race at Daytona. Mm-hmm. Ken and Fred and our little company were going to bring that race to broadcast for the first time. And that race, of course, has just hundreds of drivers. It's a massive event with dozens and dozens of cars and three, four, five drivers per car. So you're faced with this enormous forest of stories. And Ken and Fred had us out there digging and scratching and trying to find out as much as we could about all of these people. And at one point, I guess I got a little down in the dumps about the work, and uh, and Ken kind of took me aside and you know and asked what was going on. And I said, "Well, geez, I mean, we're having to we're having to to dig for so much information about all these people. I mean, you got the big stars up front, the uh, the Emerson Fittipaldi's and the AJ Foyts and Daryl Waltrips and guys like that. You know, why why do I spend so much time trying to figure out who this guy from Iowa who was here as an <laughs> SCCA champion or something?" And Ken said, "Look, this is television." And the only reason that anybody's going to care about what happens and the only reason they're going to want to turn in is if they know who these people are and if we can just give them one nugget about this particular driver and we don't know who it's going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have a big star up front or you could have somebody that nobody but his family and friends have ever heard of and for one reason or another, good or ill, he may become the center of our story. Right. So you need to make people care about this individual because mm. that's the only reason they have to tune in. Yeah, the cars are great and they're noisy and they're colorful and they're fast and all of that. 
and we'll do our share of that. But ultimately, you care about the individual who is taking part, not just in auto racing, but in figure skating or triathlon or, you know, any sport you care to to put out there for the public to uh, to enjoy and be entertained by. You have to be able to give them the backstory yes. quickly and effectively. And that's really been one of the, the keynotes of my whole career, in addition to Blood Bowl Porch's directive not to lose fans in a big chunk by saying something you probably shouldn't, but, <laughs> but also giving every fan at whatever level he or she comes to a broadcast, all the information and background they need to care about what's happening. Not because you care who wins, but you care what happens to these people that you've been introduced to. So that's become one of the sort of mottos of my approach to any event is, you know, get get the X's and O's and the rules down and that's fine. But when the time comes, what's going to make people stay tuned is if they care about this person they're watching who's trying so hard to accomplish something. So yes. I have Ken to thank for that. Great advice. Fantastic. How about a proudest moment in your career? I'm sure you've had so many, but is there one in particular you would share with me that really stands out? Well, I've certainly had a lot to be grateful for in my career. I would have to say probably my proudest moment, and it came like my career itself, mm-hmm. as a bit of a surprise. Uh, about a year ago, John Bishop, who was another key figure in the early stages of my career when when I was sent to the Camel GT races that he organized. I wasn't a kid. Um, I was a 30-year-old who was going through this career change and deciding this is what I think I'd like to do. And so I'm asking a, just a flurry of questions, most of which were probably terribly silly. But here's John, former director of the SCCA Pro Racing Division. Uh, he and Big Bill France started the International Motorsports Association and the Camel GT Series. And this is a world-level series. And we're racing to Daytona and Sebring and all these wonderful events. And along comes me asking goofy questions. But John was always generous with his time. He was always willing to explain things to me so that I could explain them to other people. Mm -hmm. Just a great guy. He was selected for induction into the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America up in Michigan uh, last year. And when they asked him who they would like, who he would like to induct him into the Hall of Fame, he said, me. He said he'd like to have Bob do his induction, and nice. I was just floored by that when it was explained to me. I just, uh, I just couldn't imagine, and it was such a compliment. Wonderful. Sadly, sadly, John passed away before he could be inducted, and that mm. made the moment even more poignant when I was on the stage in Michigan with his son Mitch, and uh, and we'll be remembering John again at this year's Rolex Twenty Four. Yeah. Um, that was one of the, the great moments that I'll remember forever, that John Bishop, who I came to with all these silly cub reporter questions early on, helped me up the ladder to where I am today and then, then asked that I be there to uh, to help institutionalize sure. his career. What a wonderful thing, and, and John was a great guy, and just that one little snippet of his life tells you just what a special person he was, that he took mm-hmm. the time to help people along the way. So fantastic. Let's have a little bit of fun here. Could you tell me what your first really special car was and maybe a memory you had with that vehicle? <laughs> well, um, gosh, I suppose everybody's most special car is the very first one, and, and I was no different than most kids, even though I wasn't 
that much into uh, racing or competition or, or, or even street cars as such. When you get your first driver's license and then you get your first car, my first car was a 61 Ford Falcon that I bought from one of my track coaches in high school. All right. Uh, and I learned to drive a manual transmission, I suppose like a lot of people did, not because anybody taught me how, but because I, I had a basic idea of the fundamentals, and I had to drive the darn thing away somehow or uh-huh. else get somebody to tow it. So, But I got in and, and ground the gears and worked it out. And so that was a very special car to me. But another one that, that really opened my eyes to the possibilities in, uh, among automobiles was a a press car, a 944 Porsche Turbo that I borrowed back in the early 90s from Porsche mm-hmm. to do a, a bit of a of a grand tour. I was going to the Belgian Grand Prix at spa Francorchamps, just this magnificent race, and I picked up the car in Stuttgart and I drove it to, uh, to Belgium, and along the way I made some stops, and everywhere I stopped, there was a crowd around the car when I came out, whether yeah. I got into a restaurant or stopped at a scenic vista or something. And I thought, well, this car really symbolizes something to these people. It really means something to them. And so I was so proud to drive that car, mm-hmm. both for that race and then for the Italian Grand Prix that followed. And uh, honesty compels me to admit that in a conspiracy with my longtime colleague David Hobbs, I managed to crash that car. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, uh, and had to go back to Porsche with my tail between my legs and yeah. explain to them what had happened, and we got it all worked out. But, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll just never forget driving that gleaming red Porsche 944 Turbo and seeing the effect it had on people on the road. Yeah. Old yeah. and young and male and female and, and what have you. It's a very aspirational car. That was one of the really special cars that I remember. Ah, oh, fantastic. Well, what fun. We won't go into the whys that car ended up in a in a ditch or wherever it ended up, but uh, <laughs> maybe I'll call Mr. Hobbs and see what he can tell me about. <laughs> yeah, right. I learned something from that part, too. <laughs> oh, I hope you did. Yeah, we all do when those things happen. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've owned that you've let go that you wish you could have back in your garage? Yeah, there really is. Um, one of the earliest cars I owned, the one I took to college and, and actually drove uh, from college up in the Northeast down here to Atlanta and, and was my basic daily transportation for a long time. It was a, uh, it was a 67 Plymouth Valiant, uh, which may sound like a really mundane car to most people. Mm-hmm. But I think that was a very cool car in so many ways. It was, um, first of all, it was sexy. It was, you know, sort of a champagne gold with black vinyl interior and... <laughs> And a vinyl roof, and boy, back then I thought that was that was really you know, the living end. It was a inline six, strong motor, manual shift. I mean, it would take four people in bags and accelerate uphill in third gear. So I really loved that car. It got me through New England winters and Atlanta summers, and I eventually sold it to the younger sister of a girlfriend. But uh, mm-hmm. it was a very cool car, and I'd really like to have that little baby back in my garage. Yeah, sounds great. Well, you'll have to uh, follow Barrett Jackson and see if one rolls across the block someday. <laughs> exactly. And bid on that. Are there any projects that you're working on right now that really have you excited and fired up? Well, actually, yes. I'm working on a project that I really can't talk about right now, and I am fired up about that. Yeah, and, and, and hopefully folks will be hearing about that soon, but you know, in broadcasting, I always get excited about the next event. You mm-hmm. know? My favorite event is the next one I'm going to do. And now I'm involved deeply with Fox Sports coverage of the Tudor United Sports Car Championship. Everybody out there who's a fan of the series knows the kind of year they had in their inaugural season last year. Oh, with some it's ups incredible. And downs. Yeah. But, 
And here we go into 2015 now with one of my favorite events in the world, the Rolex 24 at Daytona. And so I'm, I'm really excited about the potential for this year, the people, the, the, the marks involved, the different classes, all of these great cars, all the great racetracks we'll go to, and all the great people. And, and I think racing people really are interesting and exciting people. So um, I'm looking forward to Rolex and then every race that follows through to the end of the season. Oh, fantastic. We'll be there with you following that event. It's a great series. I really love watching it. Now, here's a real fun question for you, Bob. If Bob Varsha was a car, what kind of car would he be and why? Wow. <laughs> I'm tempted to say a, a 66 Pontiac GTO. Tri-power, which I've always kind of lusted after. Uh Um, But if I can only have one, I'm going to go back to the you know the very first car that captured my imagination as a as a kid with a slot car set back in gosh knows when late fifties Jaguar E Type Jaguar E Type convertible please okay and how do you relate the Jaguar E Type to Bob Varsha? Well, you know it's just it's such a Fabulous-looking car. Mike, Joy and I, in our auction coverage, always recall Mr. Manny's observation that it's the greatest crumpet catcher in the history of man. It's such <laughs> a sexy-looking car. One of the first attorneys I practiced with as a young associate back in the 70s had one. It was a bit of a project, and I remember some long drives looking down at a, at a rust hole in the floor between my feet. But it's such a, a wonderful car. How it reflects me, I don't know. I'm not sexy or sleek <laughs> or fast or any of that kind of stuff. But when you when you love a car and a shape and a and a performer and an icon like mm-hmm. a Jaguar E Type, uh, and you get the chance to be a car, I guess you know I may as well go for the gold and 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 pick the sexiest, sleekest, most historically significant car I can think of. There you go. And uh, and I'll take an E Type. Okay, wonderful. All right, Bob, we're entering the last lap, and you've been around enough racing. You know what that means. The white flag is out, and it's time to put the pedal to the metal. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and you're going to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Ready. Okay. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Probably it comes from my auction experience, and it would be to do your homework, select a car with your heart, but buy with your head, and you'll keep it forever. (laughs) Perfect advice, especially this Barrett-Jackson auction week. Can you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your successes? Absolutely. Reading. Uh, it's what I tell every young kid who wants to get involved in the broadcast business. You have to read. You have to read widely. widely. You have to read good stuff and bad stuff so you learn the difference. It's certainly been important in the steep learning curve that I've faced in my career, just in terms of getting up to speed so that I can give the audience, whether novices or sophisticated fans, all the information they need to enjoy the broadcast. So I'll go with reading. Great advice. Do you have a resource, just one that you could share with our listeners that you really enjoy? Maybe it's a website or a blog that you get. Keith Martin's Sports Car Market Magazine. I read it cover to cover. Yeah, I do too. Keith's been a guest on the show here at Cars, yeah. And uh, he's down mm-hmm. there. I've been watching him. Uh, on his Facebook page while he's down there doing the car auctions here, and uh, he's been posting tons of pictures. But, yeah, he's the guy. Now, you talked about reading. Is there one book that you could share with our listeners that you're really fond of? 
There is. Um, it was recommended to me by Dan Gurney while I was interviewing him uh, for a recent book project of my own with mm-hmm. uh, another person that you've uh, interviewed, Peter Harholt. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I did the copy for his little, it's a monograph, really, a very short book, but beautifully illustrated with Peter's pictures. Yes. And it was Dan Gurney's uh, Belgian Grand Prix winning 67 Eagle uh, Gurney Westlake V12. Yes. I'm very proud of that, but Dan and I have, have spent a lot of time talking, and uh, and we share a lot of interests, and one of those is aviation. He recommended a book called Angle of Attack, subtitled Harrison Storms and the Race to the Moon. Wow. Published in the mid-1990s by a guy named Mike Gray. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's kind of a reflection. You know, you and I are from a generation when the space program was the most romantic thing in the world. I mean, we lived through Mercury and Gemini oh, and Apollo yes. programs. And, and it's really distressing to me that I look around and, and my kids and their generation, you know, a, a rocket goes up and, you know, it's just ho-hum to them. And, yeah. But with but with the new Orion project to Mars and the new commercial era in space travel coming up with SpaceX and Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic program and so on, I've had the opportunity to be in Florida at Cape Canaveral when the space shuttle went up. Mm-hmm. And it is the most amazing physical and emotional experience to watch this and to think about it. And in this book, Angle of Attack, you meet Harrison Storms, who is not one of the glamorous uh, executives or or astronauts. He was a guy on the engineering side who led the team that just 40 years after Charles Lindbergh flew solo across the Atlantic, and everybody thought that was the acme of aviation achievement, we're going to the moon because President Kennedy said we would, and we were going to do it by the end of the 60s. And and the real story of how that happened, all of the trial and error and technology that had to be discovered and researched or invented, it, it, it's just a fascinating story. It took a great personal toll on a lot of the people involved in going to the moon with mm-hmm. the Apollo program. And, and Angle of Attack and Harrison Storms are a, a great look behind the curtain at uh, all the good and the bad about that process. Oh, great book. wonderful. Well, thank you for uh, suggesting that book. And I'll remind the Cars Yeah listeners, you can find links to everything that Bob shared us with us today at carsyad.com slash Bob Varsha. All right, Bob, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for some people. You gave us an inkling of maybe how you might answer this, but we'll see. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but money's no object, today we're at the auction, I'll buy you whatever goes across the block. What would that vehicle be and why? Wow. Um... I think I would go with uh, one of Carol Shelby's greatest creations, the uh, Cobra Daytona Coupe. Ooh, yes. I've had the chance uh, not only to chat with Carol, but also with uh, Pete Brock. He's been a guest here on Cars, yeah? Yep. Yeah, I mean, Pete's a fascinating guy. Oh, and, yes. Uh, he's, he's got a new book about the uh, origin of the Corvette Stingray. Oh, yeah. It's very good. It's and, a great book. I'd have to go with that. You know, again, sort of like the uh, with the Apollo program to the moon. There's a whole lot that had to be invented, figured out, noodled yeah. away at. It was kind of that way with that car, too, and the, the coupe body styling and the aero advantages it gave them as they went to Le Mans and the Mulsanne straight away and the, the short tail and all of those sorts of things. But Pete Brock and the gang turned that car into a winner, and I think that I'd have one of those. Well, great choice. I had the pleasure of spending a weekend at Pete's house with his wife, Gail, and Sitting out on his porch and listening to stories of how that car was developed and Pete working with uh, Carol Shelby and the team there, I just, I kept pinching myself saying, how did I get here? 
this is just fantastic. <laughs> but we've become friends, and and he's a wonderful guy, and uh, talks a lot about that car on his interview here at Cars. Yeah, so that's a great choice. Love it. Can't wait to see you in that car. Well, Bob, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've so enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Daytona? I would say follow your heart. Make sure you do what it is you really want to do in your life and do it as soon as possible because we're all living on borrowed time and you don't want to get to the end and find that you never did it. So go out there, figure out what you want to do and do it. Fantastic advice. Bob, what's a great way for our listeners to learn more about you in the Fox Sports Network? Well, you can certainly uh, look for us. I'm on Twitter and Facebook. I'm easy to find. I use my own name and no clever handles. <laughs> okay. Figure simple is best. Uh, I've got a website in the works right now, but that's not online just yet. So in the short term, uh, I love answering questions from people, and I see that people appreciate it when when uh, celebrities, if I may use that term, actually do answer questions. But yes. uh, I will assure you that I do, so uh, drop me a line. Absolutely. And Bob was gracious enough to answer my questions and be on Cars Yeah, and I'm very grateful for that. And Bob, when you get that website up, let me know. We'll post it up on your show notes page here at CarsYeah.com. Bob, thank you again for being so generous with your time and your expertise and your journey through life and for sharing your experiences with me. Until we talk again... I'll see you down the road. Take care, Mark. You bet. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.